Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 123 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. Today we're talking with the director of game design at CMON, Michael Chanel, and CMON game designer, Fabio Curry, about the 2022 update for A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. Jason, it's great to be here again. Episode 123. I can <laughs> see a pun in there somewhere. I don't know. Let's keep going. I'll find it somewhere. I see we're already off to a rocky start here. This is going to be a long episode. Well, I'm excited. Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that you'd be spending your Valentine's Day evening with the A Song of Ice and Fire community? You know, when you word it like that, it somehow causes you to evaluate the choices in your life that led you to certain locations. Well, I do appreciate you coming on here. And it's been great also seeing both of you in the bi-monthly Q&As you've been doing for CMON. Those have been going great. So, you know, jumping in here, today was a big day and we saw the 2022 update, which saw some small tweaks to every faction, uh, some a little bit more than others, but certainly paling in comparison to the 2021 updates we saw last year. You know, I had a quick question, actually, as we were going through this, were there anything Things in the 2022 update that just came out that were maybe artifacts or things that were considered to be put in the 2021 update and just never, uh, you know, maybe you need a little bit more time to think about. Let's say that some of them were like in the back of the mind. Is, is that an expression? Yeah. But to be honest, these to me, this is still the 2021 game with just now minor tweaks and things that we can um, only see in hindsight and with more time and more data. Yeah, I can't think of anything that really jumps out at me as like when we were making the changes here of like, oh, you know, this is something that we were going to do then but didn't because if that was the case, we would have just done it in 2021. So, yeah, nothing really jumps out at me as like, you know, as if you said that's a question immediately, nothing jumps to mind. Fair enough. And it's interesting to see we also have some general like uh, tweaks to units and cards and then some overall changes to things like lances writ large where now it's giving you know plus two attack dice for each remaining rank in this unit so is that something maybe that like you guys are doing a lot of tweaking and messing around in the background over this past year i mean a lot of the changes that we were doing for this cycle and everything it's the same thing as when we were doing like uh, between patches one through uh, 1.4 through 1.6 is that these are relatively minor like you know we did points adjustments this time if that's what we could do to uh, change something to keep it small or you know minor numbers adjustments in the case of lances they changed from being a plus one auto hit for remaining rank to plus two dice which in the long term, the math doesn't change a, a terrible lot in comparison to like some other changes that could potentially happen. But it allows you just that little extra bit of scaling upwards. So, so most lance units now can cause upwards of 10 wounds, um, which is the most that you're going to see in pretty much any effect out there. So they're going to hit really hard on the charge. And frankly, from before, they're rolling six dice, getting plus two auto hits. Well, the difference between, you know, four attack dice and two auto hits without outside variables you know, is fairly close in comparison, but then you have to factor in things like charge rerolls and other things that can affect these. So the potential scaling is there, but the actual math is fairly similar as far as like, again, long-term things to um, what could overall be affected. And then you'll see other changes that are things like moving from a four plus to a three plus. Uh, some things we're doing the reverse of that. Again, we try to keep this from, instead of just redoing any abilities, just as many like small little numbers, tweaks or points adjustments as we could to keep things minimal. Did your philosophy change at all between the last update and this one where a lot of times last time you were talking about things about maybe a little bit of a decrease in lethality. We saw a lot of variables change from maybe like D3 to like straight up things based on rank. And, you know, right off the bat, I just think of maybe the plus one to hit for each remaining rank in the unit versus plus two dice. It's kind of a similar 
you know, adding, but now we're, we're bringing dice back in. Is there been any, you know, larger thoughts or shifts in your general philosophy about how the game should be played in this update? Actually, quite the opposite, right? I think all these changes actually root us deeper into our philosophy rather than, than push us away from it. I believe that these are maybe some outlier things or actually just even more streamlining sometimes that was needed to, once again, contribute to our 2021 design philosophy. That's why it's still V2021 and not V2022, for example. I will comment on one thing that I know came to my mind when you said that was that I know that I've already seen some comments and murmurings about like, oh, you know, now we're moving to like things having a three plus to hit at like six points and five points, where previously we talked about, you know, that's usually reserved for a seven point unit. And I do want to address that because first off, you know, those are the stand that we set was like most things are moving to a four plus to hit. And that is true. Some things, though, example, are getting that three plus to hit and to compensate for other areas. And this was something you'll see here on like the low cost offensive unit, like Bolton Cutthroats or Bloody Mummer Skirmishers, where initially they had a four plus. But the problem is like their other stats are so you have your average of what stat should be. You know, on average, you're going to have a 4-plus to hit, 4-plus defense, 6-plus morale. Think of those as like your baseline numbers. If you shift those numbers in one direction, you have to have something to compensate for that. Like with the Bolton Cutthroats, well, they've got a 5-plus defense and a 7-plus morale. Those are below average for those stats. So that means they have to have something to compensate for that, whether it's an increased speed, whether it's an increased amount of attack dice, really cool abilities that are you know, above the points distribution for them. And... You know, part of that is also factoring in an attack. So in the example of the Bolton Cutthroats, we changed them to being a three plus to hit because their abilities were in par for a five point unit. But their stats were basically they had worse defensive stats, but they didn't have anything to really compensate for that. Mm. Like they're supposed to be an offensive unit, but they didn't have anything that was offsetting the fact that their defense was low. Same thing with the Bloody Mummer Skirmishers. Like this is a pure glass cannon unit, but that means that it has to be able to deliver on the cannon part. And if it can't, then okay, that's a problem. And we obviously don't want to up their defense because that's not the point of them. So you have to up their offense and that's either through abilities or their attack profile. With your the last update, one of the things that we'd actually talked about was that in the lifespan of the game, uh, you have both learned a lot about what you think is good for the game, maybe ideal situations, or maybe even mechanics that you wanted to move away from. In this last period of 12 months or so. Have there been any mechanics that you have decided you want to move the game away from or towards? I couldn't help but notice, for example, like uh, Shireen and Silice, they no longer uh, have to have the ends killed, for example. They get a once per game ability instead. So are there any mechanics or things like that that you feel like you're maybe moving to or away from? I wouldn't say we're moving away from things. It's just it has to be justified for what it brings to the game. For example, like Quarren in CU, he still has his kill himself effect, but you know, most people, especially when it comes to NCUs, you have to, it has to be a really powerful effect to justify killing it. With Sharice and Sleece uh, uh, and Shireen, you know, people were just not willing to take them because they weren't willing to sacrifice an NCU to that. Also, this is kind of a thematic thing as well, because now granted, this is nothing based on the books right here, but we're not going to get into potential spoilers here. But, you know, OK, people <laughs> have seen the show know that things happen, but both of them aren't killed. It's only one of them. So that's kind of a that's kind of a lower justification there is well, like uh, if, now, if now you've this done hypothetically it. were to happen then it would really be one of them. It's not going to like burn both, unless it turns out they are. There's actually been a couple other situations in the game where rules conflict with lore, or vice versa, I should say. I can't get too much into this, but I mean, the easy example for people to see would be like Cold Hands and Binge and Stark. Um... I really can't get too much into that, but there are rules on those cards that prevent them from being fielded together, mm -hmm. and that is directly related to things that happen during our licensing passes as to 
you know, what is and isn't things that we can do. Because as we've said constantly before, every single thing we do is passed through George Martin and his camp and everything. You know, sometimes we do get feedback about like, oh, you can't do X and Y because it wouldn't make the world's biggest amount of sense or things like that. No, usually they're pretty lax on things like that. But I will say like the Benjamin Cold Hands, read into that however way you will. That was one of those restrictions that was put into place specifically on request from, you know, licensing. Sometimes they just want to be safe, though. So you never know. I'm just saying, hypothetically, if a book comes out in the future that hypothetically were to change those hypothetical plot points to be something else, so like the hypothetical situation that we just did does not make any sense, then I already have hypothetical plans to uh, change or write an FAQ that says plot twist and just removes the rule, hypothetically. Can it be like a little uh, a little tactics card for our George R. Martin mini that sits on the side just called plot twist? And it's like, these rules have been changed. You can play it. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Okay. Well, that's interesting to know. That's so it's you know, it's still a very involved process and you've you've spoken to that before in the past as well. Uh so there's been so many things that have changed, small tweaks, but there's been quite a few units that have changed. Is there one unit or tactics card or attachment that you feel uh, really needed some love and in the 2021 update, like it, it got addressed and like you really feel like we we did it right here. I maybe I'd go with guard captain. I really oh. liked him before. But I think that now just uh, hold the line has has found its room and its use. And, and I think we we hit the mark here really, really nicely. So, yeah, I think that Guard Captain is probably one of the most drastic changes in my mind. And it's the one I'm most proud of. Michael, would you have a different answer? And why might it be mammoths? <laughs> uh, let's see if we had to talk about single change here. Um, Guard Captain is actually a decent thematic one as well, because like the ability makes a lot of sense for the unit to have as well and it also just really helps the unit that he synergizes with which mm -hmm. of course attachments are built to like you know just be generally helpful but of course you naturally do want to see some synergies with the things that you would associate them with but actually chase funny enough that you should mention mammoths i think that is a good one to actually bring up because mammoths had a really cool idea that was just too complicated to i won't say too complicated it was just not worth the effort to um manifest that ability on the table because it was one of those things that's like it's gonna skew too far in one direction mm -hmm. and so that was why the idea was to just let's just change these guys to a different thing because while it's a cool gimmick that they do it's one that's either going to work out too well for the free folk player or just terribly for them and there's going to be seldom in between there are there ways you can make that around there and work and balance it out yes but i still feel that's one of those units that like you're going to the the casual or amateur player is not going to get a lot of enjoyment out of it and the hardcore tournament player is going to make it an abusive situation where no one is going to enjoy it so it's kind of sitting in those extremes so rather than just having that be exist in one of those areas you know you just change to what they do this is one also where i feel like it must have been fun coming up with the change i love the bit you added so that the mammoth when this unit is destroyed before being removed target one enemy it is engaged with and they suffer d3 wounds just like fall overs and crush it uh that must have been a fun one to come up with we actually went back and forth on that a bit and fabio can talk about this more but yeah we had we were talking about the thematic implementation of that and if people would get it or not <laughs> i love it you think to me i'm just like why why, why? Yeah, exactly. Some people are just like, I don't understand. It just, it just explodes. <laughs> yeah, that one was one that we were thinking a lot of because of theme, but we also felt that like the mammoth should do something when it is destroyed. And we were thinking of like, maybe it could trample or, or something like that. But basically that would be even more text and, and it, it has already a lot of text and the, the previous ability already did have a lot of text as well. And 
basically, I think this streamlines it enough where there's still that flavor of you destroying this giant war mammoth and, and something happening and of, of there being a consequence. And I hope people get it. If, if they can say it ran away, they can say it fell over and died. I think it's it's suitable. <laughs> well, now that I know that's an option, I'll just say that mine always ran away. No, no war members will die in my game. They're just going to do their D3 wounds and skedaddle off the board. Uh, you know, what's interesting about this game compared to some other games is that uh, I think it's immediately apparent that there are a lot of like board game sensibilities in A Song of Ice and Fire, also card game sensibilities. Now, having actually got to talk to you a bit now from the Master Universe game, also Marvel Zombie side, it's been really cool to see how you approach mechanics and you talking about like, hey, we'll just add more text. Now, obviously, there's only so much room on a card, but generally when you look to change things, is there like a, a certain rule or do you try to adhere to a certain code about keeping things simple? Yeah, less is more. Uh, always, always. You you always want to try to reduce text. Obviously not so it becomes incomprehensible, right, or anything like that. But usually shorter sentences are clearer. That's something I, I take from for life now, right? So even I'd say the mammoth is not even in the exact good example of this is just because it's such a unique unit that it requires more text but we want to generally keep abilities with at least text as possible yeah i'm just thinking of like hidden traps here is that an example where it's been streamlined a little bit more even further than it was last pass so now it's you know an enemy suffers one hit plus one hit for each of its remaining ranks but now instead of the whole like rolling for the disorderly charge on a one or um now they just get like a flat negative one movement until the end of the turn um, maybe that's an example of, of a streamlining, would you say? Streamlining, would you say? Well, I mean, I think you're going to see, you've seen more streamlining just when we moved from 1.6 to 2021. 20, that was mm -hmm. one of the main points of that entire update was to streamline things. Like, you know, instead of everything having a unique ability or something like that, or something's abilities that just did similar things, but were just slightly different and having an entirely different name, you had a whole lot effort of a streamlining. And that was also across wording uh, across the board. So, you know, that's not really anything new here in you know, this change, that was just something that happened in 2021. And then we see similarly, like to the last now, I also see some some negative penalties taken away. So for the Rylor, Queensmen and the Kingsmen, to the last now, you place two wound tokens on the card at the start of the game. Each time the unit will be destroyed, you remove one of those tokens, and then it makes a morale test. On a success, they're not destroyed, but remain in play with one wound. There used to be a debuff attached to that. You know, what are your thoughts on having debuffs tied to mechanics like that? Well, so we've had this conversation a great many times when it comes to, you know, when we're making abilities, is that if you're going to have a negative attached to it, it has to be a very powerful effect because players in general will always shy away from a negative. doesn't even matter if it's a significant one or not. And you can actually look to something like this, like Joffrey in 1.6 and actually current Joffrey, the commander version for the Kingsguard. If you looked at 1.6, he was one of the highest winning Lannister commanders in competitive play. But if you talk to a casual person or, you know, a normal like about that about it, they would just say, oh, he's unplayable because he has negatives on his cards. And if you look at some of those old cards, those are some of the strongest tactics cards in the game at the time. But because they had a negative attached to them, people shied away from them entirely. Mm. And that is that's probably the best example I can give there. So if you have a negative attached to anything, you know, the effect almost has to be disproportionately powerful because that's what people will focus on. Also, this effect was very powerful, but the, the negative attached to it meant that the the it was reducing how powerful really you, you, you would get, right? By surviving. So through the you would basically still have a, a target on your back by be, by having the condition tokens on you, right? Right. 
So now it, it does give you a chance of trying to get back up. So this brings a little bit more utility to this ability. That makes yeah, sense. That, that does tie into another thing, which is if people are paying points for abilities, they want them to work. And so you can have a powerful effect, but if it only works half the time, that's what people are going to focus on is the half that it doesn't work. And they go like, oh, right. this ability's crap because I don't get it all the time. Like, it doesn't matter if an effect would be like three times proportionally powerful to what it should be if it worked all the time. They're going to only go like, well, it doesn't work half the time. You know, and that's kind of like a philosophy when it comes to just general game stuff is that I guess the blunt way to put it is people have negative outlooks on things. Uh, if you if you like, oh, 70% of the time, this effect will make you auto win the game. Well, people are going, oh, yeah, 30% of the time, though, it's going to do nothing. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, what's the uh, the feel of the game? And like, you know, are these people oftentimes throw the word like negative play experiences around that can be used pretty loosely. But, you know, you're playing a game like you've designed like Bloodborne and, uh, you know, things can be pretty rough. And you're like, this is part of the game where if like there's a tie or something like just always interpret it in like the least generous way possible or like the most cruel way but maybe that's not the flavor for a song of ice and fire that's going to be a primary difference between cooperative and competitive games in cooperative games you're playing against the game so you know if it's being a dick to you or you know it's you know <laughs> it's stomping you in okay that's the game you want a challenge and if it's not as long as it, it's is a, a decent level of fairness then okay well that's just how the game is but if you're playing a competitive game you're playing against another person they're right there across the table from you so this is not so much like, oh, this effect is, you know, overpowered and I'm just fighting against a game or something. This is I'm fighting against this guy's units here and his units are just better than mine. What the hell? Or, you know, he's not experiencing the same disadvantage I am. That's literally a game perception thing about like just what you're expecting. Like if Song was a full co-op game and you were playing against stuff like let's let's take like adult dragons, for example. Like if we never made those, they would be drastically overpowered <laughs> and because you know, they have to be that that's how dragons are in the setting. But if we did something like that, that and made it like your co-op scenario where like you know you're against an ai opponent or something and you're just getting stomped every time you play because it's a giant adult drogon okay people would kind of view that it's like okay i'm playing against a dragon here so that's what i expect and you know it's a co-op thing so whatever but the second you put that in control of another player like something they could just bring you can imagine the the amount of rage and backlash that would come to that <laughs> although michael not knowing that there's going to be a galactus expansion or marvel zombies and having played the uh, the enemy attack deck in bloodborne i think a Dragon AI with some sort of a tactic would be pretty cool. Is that something we could like as a community like pressure you to do? I mean, I don't submit to peer pressure, so you're welcome to try that all you want. But I mean, I'm just going to say it's not for this game. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Is it in the books? <laughs> <laughs> mm, it's in the books, right? There's a giant dragon. So we can, all right. All right. So there's a, well, maybe someone out there in the community can, can tackle this and and make a cool AI dragon mode. Um, actually speaking, not to put you on the spot here, Fabio, there are some really cool scenarios. I know there was the uh, first in blood, a first in battle. There was the whispering woods scenario. Do you think we could ever get some more uh, non-competitive tournament style scenarios? I know whispering woods is really kind of s doubling down on thematic. Any are there any plans in the future for things like that? Uh, yeah, we we do have plans. We actually have some already in the oven, let's say, right? And they're just waiting to go through the whole pipeline because we, we have, it goes through a lot of people until it's published. So, but it's ready out of my hands. So yeah, you, you can expect that, but really I cannot give you a date because 
we have so many other things in the pipeline as well, right? So is this one of those things where we all find out disappointed that like the pipeline is like a 16 to 18 month thing? Or I mean, that's I actually the short. That's a, I'll say right now, that's a short pipeline. Oh, geez. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, yeah. it's still excited. Like technically the pipeline is anywhere from like one month from now to three years out. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, that's how it is. So we have those; they're they're done. Oh, so you you guys uh, you have a long long plan here for Song of Ice and Fire. So we know that the game. Remember the whole nine faction thing? Well, we know he said three years out, so we know something will be coming in three years. All right, that's that's reassuring here. We can all take that and uh, you know read into that as much as we can. By all means, yes. Yeah. Well. It, it is a, like a war game, a living war game, right? We do have the hopes of eternal, you know, survival, etc. Um, it's it's really a matter of, of getting these things prioritized as well, right? So these updates we, we see as, as higher priority and they, they end up going first in the pipeline for everyone else as well. So, and, and, they're, and in this case, graphic artists and so on do have other games and it's... It's a long process, right, to get to the, the, the scenarios, theme scenarios. Either way, fantastic. So, you know, one thing is now, um, I'm some, I, I'm really like a tactile person. I love to have the miniatures in hand. Like, I, I can't like just push around like trays of meeples. I got to see like the miniatures. And I really like having the physical cards. And so it's great now that you actually provided the update in a an easy format to just print and cut out and put into sleeves. But if someone really wants a, a physical copy of the cards, there was a mention about the potential in the future for there to be a print-on-demand um, feature. Is that something you can talk about at this time? I mean, we can mention that a bit. Basically, that's um, something that we are still sorting out the final details on. And the thing is, is that's one of those things that like, I don't want to say anything about because we are dealing with third parties in that case, and there's okay. still a lot of... Like everything is basically set up and we're finalizing things. But that's one of those things like the second we say anything about it's all out there and we need to make sure that all parties are adequately prepared and, you know, in the position to actually be moved on. Uh, because, again, we're dealing with other people. They're not just us. So that's one of those things about, like, yes, we have full plans for that. And yes, things are moving to fruition of that. But I don't want to give any dates or details because anything I'd say will directly impact uh, people that are not just us. That makes sense. So, you know, one of the units that. uh was getting maybe a lot of of attention over the past year was the Night's Watch Builder Crossbowmen. Where do you see this unit maybe being positioned coming out of this most recent update? So I think that the Builder Crossbowmen are now going to hit a sweet spot where they're not going to be overwhelming in in these very specific builds that they were being used. So they won't overwhelm their opponent. But they're still going to function um, still very nicely to the Night's Watch players, and they're still going to be um, a, a very solid pick for Night's Watch players. I think that what we actually did to solve the crossbowman problem was not just them, but mostly working around everything that was enabling them mm. right, to, to do these things. So the conscripts going to five points was something that I think was very healthy on our part. Like um, Night's Watch have these elite units, right, that um, they they already have certain extra benefits. So they're chafe units. Is that the word? Chafe units? Yeah. Okay. Um, they should come at a, a, a premium price, right, because that's not what their faction is about. And that in itself already kind of shifts the point balance of the, the Builder Crossbowman lists. Apart from that, we also changed Relentless in just across the board to being melee 
and not melee and ranged. And that as well is going to kind of remove the number of times they can they can poke the enemy. So just these, there are other changes that we did, right, as well. And they are more indirect, but these two are the ones that I think affect the crossbowmen the most directly and kind of, in my mind, solve that issue. Now, now there's, they're part of what what they were supposed to be. Makes sense. And so, you know, are you paying attention and looking at what are some of the, you know, kind of top, more competitive lists? I also saw there was this change to the special rules card for Mother of Dragons. Uh, and so do you see kind of that moving another powerful combination in the right direction? Um, yeah, for sure. I believe that we did the points reduction on that card before as a way of saying, well, you're restricting your list, right? And you're giving up certain things. So you should have a benefit on the dragons. But we believe that the dragons were already pretty balanced at their point cost. And this was just um, shifting it to a place we didn't like. Uh, in addition to that, the restriction of having all three dragons was sort of unnecessary because we believe that if you're picking the, the card, the, the commander with the tactics cards that reference dragons, you probably want to get all three of them. So we we kind of removed that. And I think it's it's going to be really interesting because it's going to really change the Targaryen list building around. And it's actually opening up more options. So the, those restrictions weren't even helping the, the Targaryen flavor, right? Yeah, and I think yeah, that'll be interesting to see what sort of variations on lists we start to see with that opening up. I'm excited to see, I know the tactics card's going to be big. I'm excited to try and do some more list building with Baratheons now that the some slight point changes and uh, seeing the Ryler, Ryler Lightbringers and the Thorns Watch drop from seven to six. It's crazy how much can, when the points values are so low in, fa- in this game, you know, dropping things down by a point can open up room for attachments. I feel like that's actually going to shift things up a lot. And I'm excited to see how lists shift as people start to uh, move things around and try and get as many, you know, as much value out of their lists as possible. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always something in this next period when, you know, the update drops and everyone's speculating. Everyone gives like a hot take on like, this is good, this is bad, this is garbage. But for a lot of this, you know, we got to see people getting out there and playing. And so I'm excited to see what sort of, uh, of variations and new themes we see people taking on, on their old lists. Uh, and yeah, at the same time, you know, this is, there's nothing crazy or, or groundbreaking in this update, just kind of some like slight tweaks. Um, so, you know, once again, excited to see what this sets up for this year. And, you know, you've talked in the past about updates uh, being on, on a certain variable timeline, a variable timeline. And I've heard, I think it would be things ranging from six to 12 months. Does that still sound about right? I mean, that's what we mentioned in the last patch notes there. And that is true because, um, again, we don't want to make changes for the sake of them. Uh, but that's why we do these periodic updates. Back when we were in between 1.3 and 1.6 doing those, you know, there wasn't a set timetable for that because the amount of changes were relatively small. Like I think each patch you might have seen between three to five cards changed between the and everything in the entire game. And, you know, ideally, that's where you want to be. You want to kind of hit a point where it's like, OK, if you're going to mess with something, it's just kind of a small quality of life thing. and you know, that's that's really the point. You know, you don't want to just constantly be changing things just for the sake of it. So, yeah, you know, that's that's really where it comes to. Back then, the game was also much smaller. There were way less elements to like cross test and so on. So now it's better to make these changes in bigger batches where we have 
more control and also once again we need more manpower and man hours to, to do these just because of the the volume and the size that this game has reached which is an accomplishment in itself at which we're really proud of yep that is correct and again if it's like in six months from now if there's like oh we're seeing something that is a major problem that needs addressing like a very specific target unit or something we'll act on it but if it's in general things like okay everything is like stabilized and everything is performing on the curb maybe there's a couple of things that could stand to be tweaked yeah we'll consider that but we again would not we'd rather just more so like if it's I don't want to say the term if it's good enough, just leave it. But uh, hopefully people understand what I say. Like if you don't have something that's creating an extreme outlier, like something is just monumentally terrible or monumentally overpowered, but everything is kind of in that middle area in some capacity, that's where you want to be. Because there's always going to be something on top. There's always going to be something on the bottom. I hate to fall into like archetypes of me being Brazilian and, and saying a soccer metaphor, but uh, so be it. Um, you, you don't change a, women, a winning team. So like, don't, it, it sort of means like, don't try to fix something that's not a problem, right? And we, we sort of address only the problems, right? And things that we, we think need improvement. But if things are like average plus in a sense, like, and they're working and they're contributing to the game, then they don't need changing, right? Uh, that's sort of how I feel. Fantastic. And then I guess last thing I, I kind of some questions about, uh, and now you've been doing this for a while and it's been in a pattern and, and I probably should be keeping track of it better. But so for the game mode updates, um, you, you in the past have done uh, beta updates, uh, and like beta modes that then became full modes. And then you oftentimes, if there were tweaks to any rules, uh, game mode updates seem to drop around the same time. Do you see game modes uh, tied to unit updates as in, we will not see any game mode changes until, another unit update goes, or is that its own separate thing? Well, the game modes were all updated with this pass as well. Um, but that's, again, on the same like kind of time schedule there. You know, if we see a need to update something, then we will. Uh, but you'll see that like throughout the game's history, messing with the game modes is very far and few in between. And even this one, we basically changed these to address two key things and affected a lot of them because it was a core rule that was kind of in all of them, which was the commander granting additional victory points. That was removed, which appeared in seven out of the 10 scenarios. So okay, technically, yes, seven out of the 10 scenarios got modified. Um, but then the others were just kind of addressing things like um, unit respawns and things like that that were okay, but were creating kind of more uh, issues in the game mode than it was bringing just fun interactions. And this is kind of ties into what we talked about earlier about simplicity and you know simplifying things where, okay, is this contributing enough to this mode where if it was removed, that it would be sorely missed? And if the answer was no or kind of lean in that direction, then, you know, we just kind of cut it out. The units respawning, that was nice for those modes, but it was not the core focus of them. And it was creating just kind of some unneeded extra stuff. It's like, OK, this is the theme of this mode. And then there's also this other thing. So was it really needed? No. So we just cut it. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and uh, touch bases about some of these changes. We're really excited. Now Now it's on us as the community to get out there and, and play the heck out of this game and have as much fun and, and find all these new interactions. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate all the work that you guys have done. Well, thanks. Uh, we always appreciate the community as a whole as well for all the support and for playing and, and really making this game what it is and, and making the game alive, right? So it's it's always great and it's always a pleasure working on these updates and, and trying to get into like the nitty gritty of the details. That's always really interesting and it's a learning experience. 
And once again, congratulations on your success with Marvel Zombies with that monster of a Kickstarter. So, uh, you know, here's to your future projects and keeping a song of ice and fire going strong. And Michael, thanks so much for coming on today. Yep, Chase, as always, good talking to you. All right, and to everyone else, uh, make sure you check out uh, official documents at asongoficeandfire.cmon.com and uh, download the PDFs. They have print and play options. All the updates and game mode information is listed there. And in the meantime, we hope to get your miniatures on the table.